0: This morning, as we come to the Word of God, it's going to be a very, very interesting topic because we know that as we come before the Lord, it is a time whereby we focus on the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alright? And also, as we focus on the uh, teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus wants us to be holistic. And today, this morning, we're going to talk about the topic of sex, divorce, and marriage. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, the portion of Scripture that we are going to look into in the Sermon of the Mount. It says here, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Father Lord, this morning as we come to you in your word once again, we pray and we ask that you will speak to us. And in this subject, Father of sex, divorce, and marriage, we ask, that you speak to both the single and the married, the one who is in relationship, that we will honour your word, that we will listen to your word, and your word will be the truth in our heart, sanctifying us, changing us. Give us attentive ears and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, ask and we pray. Amen. Now, there was a young pastor who took over a church from an old pastor who is moving on, retiring. As a fresh young pastor, he went to this old retiring pastor to find out the secret about preaching and pastoring the church. So the young pastor asked the old pastor, how did you manage to hold such undivided attention from the pulpit as you preach week in and week out for many, many years? And the old pastor says, well, it's quite easy. You must start by telling them something shocking. And after that, the next 30 minutes or so, you will hold their attention. And the young pastor asks, can you give me some example of some shocking introduction to your messages? And the old, retiring pastor says, well, you could tell them something like, before I got married, I spent my many years in the arm of another woman. And that will shock them. And when they look shell-shocked, this is what you are going to tell them. And that woman was my mother. And the young pastor says, wow, that is very good. I shall use this in my very first sermon uh, this coming Sunday as I preach. So walking away with confidence, the young pastor decided to use this illustration. And and true enough, the Sunday came. The young pastor stood up, preached his very first sermon. And he says, you know, church, This is my first Sunday as your pastor, a new pastor, taking over. And I want to start off my sermon by telling you something about myself. He says, the young pastor says, Before I got married, I spent many years in the arms of another woman. And the congregation looked shell-shocked. They couldn't believe their ear. Their eye popped up, their jaw dropped. What? Such a young pastor who spent his life with another woman? What kind of pastor is taking over? And at that moment, the young pastor, looking at the congregation, so shocked, the young pastor had a mental blockage, emotional meltdown. He started to stammer. He did not know what to say. And he says that, well, I, 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 I spent many, many, many years with another woman, and, 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 and I forgot what's her name. Now, as I'm going to preach about Topic about S E X, sex. I believe that I do not need to tell you many stories to hold your attention. This word alone, sex, it can hold your attention because it's a topic that's very interesting, a topic that many people would like to talk about, think about, joke about, and also learn about. Now, this morning, very quickly, to the passage of Matthew of chapter 5 verses 27 to 32, I want to share three main points with you. Number one is the covenant and sex. Number two, the sin of lust and sex. And number three, brokenness in sex. So let's get right through it. The first uh, point that I want to share with you is the covenant and sex. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Now, let me first summarize the understanding of sex in the Bible, which many of you would have known. In one simple sentence, the Bible summarizes as, no sex outside the covenant of marriage. No sex outside the covenant of marriage. And if you want to put it positively, sex is only within the covenant of marriage. Now, in today's world, they do not like the word covenant because it sounds old-fashioned and it sounds out of date. So, the world today want to substitute and change the word to the word contract, agreement, so that it will sound more modern. But does it carry the same connotation and the same meaning as covenant? The answer is no. You cannot substitute the word covenant with the word agreement or contract. Because covenant carries the meaning of a deep, trusting relationship which is also legally binding. So marriage is a covenant, not a contract or a mutual agreement. And marriage, the covenant of marriage is more than just contract. It is an emphasis of a trusting relationship. A trusting relationship a covenant is also legally binding. Whereby, if one or both parties uh, did something which goes against the covenant, there will be consequences. There will be consequences. Now, in a relationship, there are two kind of categories. Number one, there can be a covenantal relationship. And number two, there can be a consumer kind of relationship. Consumer relationship is the opposite of covenantal relationship. Consumer relationship states that as long as you meet my need and I meet your need, we are in this relationship together. But you must always keep your part of the promise so that I will keep my part so that we can keep the relationship. And in a consumer relationship, I'm always looking for whatever benefit that I can get from you, whatever benefit that can give me a better deal, whatever things, or whatever upgrade that I can give from this relationship. If you cannot give me what I want, if you cannot satisfy me, if you cannot pay the right price, I'm out of this relationship. Because a consumer relationship is always looking for a better deal or for an upgrade. A consumer relationship can only be maintained if there's always and constant adjustment to a relationship to make it happy. So it is completely opposite of a covenantal relationship. In a covenantal relationship, he says that I will adjust for you because I trust you, I care for you, our relationship is more important. This is what covenantal relationship means. Now, there are many different types of relationships nowadays. If two persons enter into a relationship, if one enter with a covenantal mindset, the other enter into a consumer mindset, this relationship will be open for abuse because it is not equal. This is what the Bible says, it is unequal yoke. The one with the consumer mindset will easily abuse the one or take advantage of the one who has a covenantal mindset. But when two persons enter into a consumer relationship, where both also have a consumer relationship, they'll find themselves always having to adjust and change the expectation of the relationship and the commitment. And their commitment, the relationship is not necessarily permanent. It depends on whether the other party will make me happy and give me what I want or not. So. As my need is always changing, the focus is always on the compatibility. How compatible are we from time to time? And this kind of consumer relationship is potentially unstable because adjustment needs to be done constantly. Now, if my need is not met, I'm out of this relationship. And this is what consumer relationship looks like. But when two person comes together whereby both also have the covenantal mindset. Now that is why, uh, sorry, that is where heaven meets earth. That is where God's blessing comes. Things will be different. It will be completely different because God is in that relationship. The focus is not on the personal needs, or personal desire. The focus is on the covenant, the promise that is made before God into the relationship. Now, when two persons enter into a covenantal relationship, there are three beautiful things that can happen. Number one, you will have the assurance and the safety in the relationship. If both of you enter into a relationship with a covenantal mindset, you can stop marketing yourself. You can stop putting on a facade. You can stop putting on a mask to impress the other person. You do not need to always adjust to the need and the expectation of the other person. You can safely and securely uh, remove your mask, your facade, to be vulnerable, to be transparent to the other person because you know that the relationship is more important than anything else in your relationship. Secondly, you will grow deeper in love and in trust. Now, as I always say there's no such thing as happily ever after on earth. There will be always up and down in relationship. There will always be argument, conflicts, and tension. Now, for those of you who are married, don't you agree with me? There's no such thing as happily ever after. Now, those of you here in the hall, if you're married and if you agree with me, that there will be always up and down in relationship. Can you just hold your hand up? How many of you, you agree with me? yes. Thank you for your hands. For those of you who are watching online, you just type agree into the live chat box. Let's interact together. Now, when conflict happens, it also will affect your relationship. But because there's an effort to forgive, reconcile, to resolve that relationship, there will be deeper trust, deeper love. When that happens, the conflict, the tension, the argument, it will become a test to strengthen the foundation of your marriage. Because even though in your marriage, in your relationship, there may not be a solution to your tension, to your conflict, you will still forgive one another. You will still accept one another. You will still love one another. And That is the unconditional agape love that God is talking about. And when that is practiced in a covenantal relationship, there will be deeper love and trust. Both of you will go through storm together and you will emerge stronger together. And the third beauty thing in a covenantal relationship is that there will be real freedom from random feeling. Why? Because you are no longer slave to random feeling. Now our Feeling and emotion are often affected by happening in our lives. Many of us, we may have a bad day at work. We come home and we will affect our relationship. We may have a bad season of stress and distress due to many other factors in life. We may be affected by our hormone or physical changes that will affect our feelings. We may still be hurting from our past or even childhood trauma. That we may bring that past hurts into our relationship that affects our emotion and feelings. And when tensions happen, you will feel at times that your spouse, the other party, do not love you anymore, do not care for you anymore. Your feeling will play up and you will play you up. And you will feel insecure. You will feel distressed. You will feel pitiful. You will feel sad. And you will affect your relationship. But if you are in a covenantal relationship, you will know and you will experience the love, the unconditional love, that despite what is happening, despite what you feel, the relationship is secure. The relationship is happy. The relationship is satisfying. It will free you up from being a slave of random feeling. Now, what difference does the consumer and covenantal relationship have to do with sex? Everything actually. Now let me explain. You see, sex is not a consumer good. It is meant to be a covenantal good. Sex is meant to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage, not a consumer good. In a consumer relationship, the focus of sex is the pleasure and the feeling I get from the sexual union. He says that I enjoy the feeling of being wanted, being loved, being adored. I enjoy the feeling of having power over the other person when there is a sexual union. As long as my emotional needs, my physical needs is met, then we will have a relationship. But it is different in a covenantal relationship. There are at least four things that happen When a couple enter into a covenantal relationship, number one, that relationship becomes a holy union. A covenantal relationship means that you are prepared to do a lifelong union with that person. The focus here is lifelong union. The joining of two become ones. Whereby when you say, I do to each other, You say, I do not, to to everyone else for your entire life. The foundation of such union is not agreement or contract. The foundation is God and God's love. Because you invoke God, the holiness of God, the witness of God in your relationship. And out of such lifelong union, sex is that expression of love. Sex is the expression of love and it's not an expression of lust in a consumer relationship. And that's why. God's idea for sex is good. It's to be done within the covenant of marriage. So in a covenant marriage, in a covenant relationship, it becomes a holy union. Secondly, it becomes a disclosure and a giving of self. Your physical nakedness is not just for sex. It is also a symbol of your vulnerability and transparency to your partner. It means that there's nothing to hide. You bear it all. That you are able to be naked with another person whom you trust without shame. And you disclose everything to your partner, even your nakedness. And in your trusting relationship, you give yourself... Totally and lovingly to your partner, knowing that both of you have the same covenantal mindset. There's a giving of self willingly, lovingly. There's a disclosure of self willingly, lovingly, without shame. And number three, in a covenantal relationship, it becomes a mark of integrity. Now, what does integrity have to do with this? It's because my sexual act relationship with you is an expression of my inward commitment. It is a lifelong commitment with you, within me. And as I resolve that in me, it is act out with the union of sex. That is integrity with what is within me and what I am doing. And that's why it becomes a mark of integrity. What I do physically is in line with what I am inside me. What I feel for you is what I do with you. That is that kind of integrity. And so, as long as there is that kind of integrity, both of them, as they enter into a relationship, it will be a beautiful relationship, a covenantal relationship. Whereby there is honesty, wholeness, vulnerability and that is the beauty of having a covenantal relationship nothing to hide and number four in a covenant relationship sex become an act of recommitment and renewal you see wedding is done only one time in your relationship you don't do wedding every week every month or every year i have not come across any couple who do wedding every week, every month, every year. Any one of you, you do that, can you raise up your hand? You go through wedding every week, every month, every year. It is done once in a lifetime. You don't do it again. Yes, there will be a recommitment in your 50th anniversary, 20th anniversary, but it's not a wedding. A wedding is done only once in a lifetime. But the, sex of act, uh, the, the, the act of sex, sorry, the act of sex is done over and over again in a covenantal marriage relationship, and every time when sex is done, it is a recommitment and remembrance of your marriage vow together, again and again. It becomes a renewing act that is deeply nourishing, deeply bonding, deeply satisfying. And that is why God ordains sex within the covenant of marriage. And sex within the covenant of marriage is also an act of reconciliation and healing. When you have sexual union, it means that I still love you, I still give myself to you, even though we go through a season of unresolved conflict in marriage. It is an act of... Of recommitment, an act of healing, an act of renewal. And that is the beauty of sex within the covenant of marriage. But if it is done outside marriage, it's something different. It means that I would like the feeling that I bring that, that sex brings to me, but I do not want to do life with you. There's no lifelong union with you. I just want that particular segment of sex, but not the entire life with you. And if you do this again and again with many different relationships, you enter in the relationship just for the pleasure of it, just because you want to get benefit for it, with no intention of building a lifelong commitment, a lifelong covenant, then, over time, it will distort and destroy the beauty of a satisfying relationship. And it will leave you craving for more and more relationships, jumping from one relationship to another. And you will always be looking for something that will give you a greater height of satisfaction. You will always be looking for someone else to adjust to your need. And eventually, your focus will be on self-centered gratification instead of lifelong union. Your sex life would never be satisfied. Your marriage life would never be happy. You would never experience the renewal and reconciliation relationship acted out through sex. Now, in April 14, 2012, there was an article in the New York Times called the Downside of Cohabiting Before Marriage, written by this uh, clinical psychologist called Mac J. And uh, in the United States, it was estimated that about 15% of the young people cohabit before they get married. And upon, such, uh, and, and upon doing an interview, these clinical psychologists have done uh, thousands of interviews with many couples who cohabits and she summarized that the couple who cohabits has much higher divorce rate compared to those who do not. Now this goes against the popular belief of many young people where they think that cohabiting is a good way to get to know one another, to try out life together, to see whether they are, they are compatible or not so that they can make a better decision to get married or not. That is the popular belief of many people who hold on to the idea of cohabitation. But these clinical psychologists found out that it is impossible because almost every couple that she interviewed agree with this, that the life, the the standard of a live-in partner is much lower than as a married spouse. In other words, if you are cohabiting with a couple, with another person in a consumer relationship, what you are doing is that you are just testing out the water. You are always adjusting to your needs, trying to put a new facade, wearing a mask, trying to market yourself better. And this kind of relationship is almost impossible to be maintained. And it is impossible to gauge whether you want to marry another person or not. And almost all of the cohabiting couples are not looking for a long run in building their relationship. Now one of the ladies that she interviewed said this. She said, a cohabiting relationship feels like a multi-year constant audition to become his wife. And that made the marriage never happen. So the clinical psychologists found that it is impossible to use cohabitation as a mean to gauge whether they are compatible or as a mean to make a better decision whether I want to marry her or not. Because in cohabitation, the premise of relationship is consumerism. As long as you do your part, I will do my part. As long as We are compatible. As long as you make me happy, I am in it. If not, I'm out of it. I'm always looking for something better. And that's why God says marriage, a covenantal marriage, is a marriage with the Wow of God, with God in it. And it is expressed through sex. Sex is within the covenant of marriage. And for today's world, they will say that this is something outdated, out And they may say that it is so radical that you cannot hold on to such belief. It's a free will. But the Bible says no. Sex is within the boundary of covenant of marriage. And therefore, Jesus says, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Second point I want to share is this. The sin of lust and sex. Now here, Jesus addresses our thought and thinking about sex. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Jesus says, But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now what does this mean? It means that not all men will go to hell. Amen? All the men, can you say amen to that? It doesn't mean that whenever a man looks at another woman, find her attractive, will commit sin and go to hell. Because the Bible never condemns the desire for love and for sex. The Bible is never against sex and sexual desire. For example, let's look at a very sensual book in the Bible. The Song of Solomon. Now many of you may not know that there is such a book in the Bible called Song of Solomon. Now if you study about how we get our Bible, you'll know that this book, Song of Solomon, nearly did not made it into the 66 books of the Bible. Now in this book, the Song of Solomon, is in the Old Testament by the way. It is a book about love, relationship, and it has a lot of imagery about sex and sexuality. Right at the very beginning of chapter 1 verse 2, it says here, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Wow. You find this in the Bible? Yes. Because the Bible is never negative on sex and sexuality. It is very open. And there's, um, there are many other expressions of sex and sexuality in this book. Song of Solomon. Now, some of you may have this curiosity. Right now, you just Google Look into your Bible and say, oh, there's such a book. Let me look at it. Let me read. Yes, you can do that. But after this sermon, okay? Now, not this only in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, there's another book. The book of Proverbs also talks about sex. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. It says here, May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe." A graceful dear, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Such a vivid imagery of sex and sexuality. Now parents, good luck to you if you're five years old. Read this and says, Daddy, Mommy, what does this mean? Huh? Don't, don't, don't tell them, go and ask pastor. No, you go and answer them. You see, in the very beginning, God made Adam and Eve. And it was, they were made naked. One man, one wife. There's no shame. God created sex and He says that it is good. It is holy in the eyes of God when it is done within the covenant of marriage. So God never condemns sex or the desire for sex. God is very open about sex because it's good. And it's mentioned many times in the Bible. But while God is never negative about sex and the desire of sex, here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus warns us against the sin of lust. Now the word lust, in this word, it means an idolatry or a greed to possess the other person in an illicit relationship. It is the greed and idolatry of sex to one to uh, to want another person in an illicit relationship. Now, lust has these three things. Number one, covetousness. You want something that you can't have for your own self-gratification, to satisfy yourself. Secondly, in lust, there's fantasy. You always imagine in your mind what you would want to do with another person even though you did not act it out physically. And number three, there's addictiveness. You will want it again and again, more and more. You have that craving of wanting more. Living in today's world, what are the forms of lust? Number one, pornography. A form of lust whereby you can engage with a lustful uh, fantasy. Secondly, consumer sex. As I already explained, being in a relationship out of the convenience for sex and not a lifelong relationship. Whether it is cohabiting or whether it is engagement with a sex worker or prostitute, it is also a consumer sex. And number three, romantic sex. Now let me explain. Romantic sex is a form of lust because your feeling is the only thing that counts. Your feeling. You become less attractive to another person after you had a sexual relationship, after you recognize the other person's flaw, after you recognize that the other person is not as good as you thought he or she is, you enter into a relationship with a perfect romantic mindset, with feeling. But after having a one night stand, after having sex together for a period of time, you find that, hey, he's not as good as what I thought he would be then there's no desire to build a relationship. There's no desire to spend time together as a couple in a covenantal relationship. Romantic sex, a form of lust. So, they are all these are sexual idolatry that Jesus is teaching about. There are many idols in our life. And sex and lust is one of them. Sexual idolatry, which is lust. Now we see that Jesus is so against this destructive nature of sexual idolatry of lust that He uses a dramatic language to describe what we must do in order to cut away the sin of lust with a metaphor. Matthew chapter 20, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 30, it says here, If your eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Such drastic words from Jesus. Now, Jesus is not asking us to do this literally or else we will have so many people cutting away body parts coming to church. No, it's a metaphorical language. It is an expression of how serious, how severe the issue of lust in our heart is. Now, there are many lists of sin in the Bible, but when it comes to the sin of lust, we can read that the solution is so drastic, so dramatic, Why? Because lust violates the dignity and the sanctity of a person which God created. Lust is used to apply to another person illicitly without the decency for the dignity of another person. That you, in your heart, in your mind, will lust the other person and violate the other person's dignity and decency. The other person's sanctity because you want to fulfill your own self-gratification, and therefore it violates God's holy design of the other person, and not just violate the other person, the Bible says that it also defiled the land. Defile the land, destroy the nation. This is how serious it is, and that's why Jesus is warning the people and says, do not commit adultery. Do not commit lust. It's far better that you cut away your body part than for your entire body to go to hell. The solution is so drastic. That's how serious lust is. Now, God is not against sex. He made sex as good to be done within the union of marriage. But God is against the sin of lust. Even though It is just in your mind, and you never acted it out physically. And the drastic metaphor that Jesus gave warns us how severe and how serious it is. And that is why we need to be serious and careful in the area of sex and in the area of lust. And thirdly, I want to talk about the brokenness in sex. Now this is where Jesus addresses the issue of divorce. Remarriage. And uh, this is where I would like to give you the truth, the hard truth of the Bible. But at the same time, I also always remind myself to be sensitive for what I'm about to say. Because I want to be gracious and compassionate when I say this, knowing the reality of divorce, separation, remarriage that's happening in our society and also happening in the church. In the Old Testament time, divorce had become so common and so unjust that Moses, during his time, had to introduce a certificate of divorce to control divorce and to protect the women in the society. Men, during Moses' time, were divorcing their wives left, right, up and centre. Just like that, lust and covetousness has crept in to the society that men were finding all sorts of excuses to divorce their wife in order to remarry or to separate. So, Moses had to introduce a certificate of divorce to control this mess and to make it more difficult for divorce to take place. Now, according to the rabbinical tradition, there are three stipulations of divorce. Number one, there must be two witnesses to have a good reasons to divorce. When men were using all sorts of excuses to divorce their wife, Moses says, no, there must be two witnesses to really guarantee, make sure that the men who want to divorce have a good ground. Secondly, the man must state that the wife is not the guilty party. This implies that the man is at fault, not the wife. Because sometimes, divorce is so convenient and so fast that the wife is just thrown out of the house just like that. And some women, they were stoned to death even though they are not at fault. And number three, divorce is irrevocable. It states that once divorced, you cannot remarry the same person later on. When you divorce a person, marry a second person, and then divorce this second person, you cannot remarry the first person again. So it is a stipulation to protect women as a commodity. And this stipulation is to protect the women and to deal with the mess of divorce and remarriages in this society. And over time, from the time of Moses, but he introduced the certificate of divorce until the time of Jesus. The Pharisee read the Lord of Moses and he says here in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, if a man marries a woman and becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes a certificate of divorce, is not allowed to marry her again. Now, How did the Pharisee during Jesus' time interpret the word displeasing and indecent? It may be the wife nagging the husband too much. The wife, not good in taking care of the household. Therefore, she's lazy. I want to divorce her. She nags me too much. I want to divorce her. She cannot cook well, not skillful. I want to divorce her. She's not giving birth to me a son. I want to divorce her. She's putting on too much weight. I want to divorce her. See, these are some of the ground and some of the excuses for divorce. Jesus came against the Pharisees' interpretation in allowing divorce just based on their interpretation of indecency and displeasing. And in reply, Jesus reiterated the purpose of marriage, that marriage... Is the joining of two lives together in one flesh. Once married, it cannot be separated. What God put together, let no man put asunder. Only death can dissolve marriage, and this is why, in a wedding, the vow is always till death do us apart. And Jesus expanded about his uh, about marriage. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 to 9, it says here, Why then, the Pharisee asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a marriage certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce the wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the very beginning. I tell you, the one who divorces his wife accepts for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery so here Jesus said that the only valid reason for divorce is sexual immorality now in here in Malaysia in our country there are four grounds of divorce number one adultery number two unreasonable behavior number three desertion and number four Separation. Four grounds of divorce here in Malaysia. Now I'm telling you this not for you to get a good reason to divorce, no. But as you know that there are these four grounds for a legal divorce in Malaysia. And although we understand there are many, many different circumstances for divorce, such as being in an intolerable, life threatening, abusive relationship. Then there are people who come to the pastor and say, Pastor, my husband is so abusive that he threatened me with a knife, threatened to kill me, my kids, my young kids. You expect me to stay with my husband like that? Or you may be in a severe, repeated behavior of gambling, addiction and substance abuse, whereby the wife comes and says, Pastor, I have been living with my husband again and again and again. Gambling, drugs, abuse. I have forgiven him many, many times over the past 20 years. And he fall back into the same habit that endanger me and our children. I want to get divorced. Oh, the partner may commit a crime. Pastor, I just found out that my husband and his gang commits robbery. I cannot stay with him again. Again and again, he commits a life of crime. And there are more, many more circumstances for divorce. Now, of course, we understand that divorce can be asked on the ground of separation or the ground of unreasonable behavior. Yes, in today's world, there are many different combination of circumstances. Many tricky situations of whether can or cannot divorce. But Jesus is asking that we do not take divorce lightly. Do not follow the world's reasoning for divorce. Reasons such as incompatibility. Me and my wife, no more compatible. Divorce. Me and my wife, we have irreconcilable differences. Divorce. Why? The law allows it. So, give us a new chance to have a new beginning. Why not? We need to go back to the Bible and get the heartbeat of God when it comes to love, sex, marriage, and divorce. When Jesus talks about divorce, He continues in Matthew 5, verse 32. He says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this means that if a man divorces his wife for a reason other than unfaithfulness, the covenant of marriage is not broken. Even though the man divorced the wife, the covenant of marriage is not broken. And if the man divorced the woman, and the woman marries another man, the Bible says, that woman is committing adultery. But the blame is on the man who divorced the woman. In our modern society, we think that this is harsh. We think that this is not acceptable. This is out of date, out of fashion. We are moving on. We are in 2022. But I want you to understand the Bible truth about marriage and divorce. But on the flip side, if a man divorces the wife, whereby the wife is unfaithful to the marriage, then the covenant of marriage is broken. The man is then free to remarry. So, the covenant of marriage can only be broken by unfaithfulness. Other than death, It can be broken by unfaithfulness. Now that you understand the grounds of divorce, I want to point out one very important fact here. And if you don't get anything else, get this. It's very important. While God provided the ground for divorce, which is unfaithfulness, God did not command for divorce. Yes, there's only one ground of divorce, unfaithfulness. But God did not say that when you found out thy spouse is unfaithful, thou must divorce your wife. No. God did not command for divorce even though God provided the ground for it. He said that we must always forgive, restore, reconcile, and save the marriage. Do what we can Not just alone, but in a community with accountability. Do what we can. But at the end of the day, if you really, really could not, after every premises are exhausted, then only a divorce can happen based on the ground of unfaithfulness. Nothing else. So this much is clear about divorce from the Bible. And of course, there are many, many other combinations of circumstances, of issues in real life about divorce. And that's why the topic of divorce and remarriage is a hot topic to talk about. But at the end of the day, again, God did not command for it. God did not command for divorce even though you can God says, forgive, reconcile, restore as much as you can within a community of accountability. But for those who are divorced, remarried, let me assure you, you are still part of the family of God. You are still part of the family of First Assembly. We are here to walk this journey with you because in Christ there is forgiveness, there is acceptance. Although, the adultery, uh, although adultery and unfaithfulness is a terrible sin, it is not an unforgivable sin. In John chapter 7 and chapter 8, it records a story, a touching story of a woman caught in adultery. And if you read this chapter, you can look at Jesus' heart of compassion to the woman. Jesus did not condemn her. Although adultery may lead to brokenness, betrayal, it is not an unforgivable sin. And lastly, in conclusion, to those who are listening to this message, whether you are divorced, remarried, or even separated, or to those who are in a consumer relationship, I want to encourage you this. Fall back into the arm of God. Look to the cross of Jesus, whereby Jesus took away your sin. He took away my sin. Where there is forgiveness and acceptance, even in your brokenness, in your bitterness, in your betrayal. Let me encourage you. Come to Jesus and feel His heartbeat and His love for you. Come to Jesus in repentance. Ask Jesus to give you a humble and a contrite heart to acknowledge your wrong, your bitterness, your hurts, and to turn away from your sinful ways. Come back to Jesus so that Jesus can restore you and your relationship. To once again bring life to your relationship and to align your relationship with God. Just as Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, I also want to say to everyone here today, go and sin no more. There is forgiveness, there is acceptance, but go and sin no more. And this is God's call for us today. That we do not look at sex as a consumer good. It's a covenantal good. In a covenantal relationship where God is the center of everything, including sex, and don't believe the lies of the world that says that if you are, you, are, you are missing out. The world is telling you you are missing out if you do not sleep around enjoying the pleasure of sex. That you must cohabit in order to find out, in order to make a better decision of who to marriage. Those are the lies of the world. More than sex, we need God. We need God's love. We need to express sex within the covenant of marriage. So this morning, would you make a renewal commitment to God, once again, in your relationship, in your expression of sex, that you will come to God and say, God, I give you my life, including my relationship, my expressions of sex, or my expressions of singlehood, to keep myself pure in the eye of God. Whether you are in a relationship, separated, Divorced, single. I hope that today's message will speak to you to have a proper understanding about sex, relationship, divorce, and also recommitment to God. That there is redemption of sin and that we need to repent, acknowledge our own sin. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our head, let's pray. Father Lord, we come before you. Once again, we want to look at our own life today. Search us, O God, to find whether is there any hint of lust, adultery, is there any hint of sexual immorality in our mind, even though we do not act it out physically. Father Lord, I ask that you help us so that even though it is something that we do not act it out that we want to get rid of it at the very core of it at the very beginning of it and this morning we want to give you our heart our life our physical body our expression of sex the desire of sex that you have created good and holy that will continue to have the mindset of christ of marriage, relationship, and sex. I give you a life at home. Yes. Right now, can I invite you to just stand with me for those of you in the hall. Let's stand together and let's respond to the Word of God with this song. God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Let's sing it together. This is my desire Lord, my heart, I You. Whether you are in the hall or watching it from the home, let's worship Him and respond to Him this morning. Body, our mind, our soul, our relationship this is God. This sermon on the mount talking about adultery divorce. It is a warning to us so that we will keep our life holy unto the Lord, righteous before all men, and also godly, so that our life will be blessed, our life will be pure our life will be pleasing to God. Right now, I just want every one of you here, let's just close your eyes, just raise up both your hands as a gesture of surrender and recommitment. If there's anything that is, you know, that displeases God in your life, that you will come to the Lord in repentance. And also for those of you who are married, I ask that you will renew your covenant of marriage to the Lord right now. And also if you're single, and ask God, God, lead me to a path of purity lead me to a path that i will honor you even though i'm single so right now as a position continue to play i want you to just come to the line prayer renew to the lord pray to god and ask god to once again touch your relationship touch your heart Yes, God. Come on, church. Let's press on. Commit our lives, our body, our purity, our marriage and relationship to the Lord. Whatever situation that you are in. Your blessing, your truth have given us that freedom, it's not the lies of the world that we hold on to, but the truth we hold on to. Thank you, Father Lord. And this morning, as we pray, we know you'll listen to our prayer, we know that much work to be done, but we are not doing it alone. The Holy Spirit living in us will give us the power to live our life with the commitment that we have just made. The change that we so want, it will happen when we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. When there is accountability with brothers and sisters in Christ, and there is power to the community of faith. Father Lord, thank you for such wonderful blessing. May Jesus' name, we ask and we pray but not least i want to leave you with these three reflection questions which i hope that you take time to ponder and to discuss in a small group number one in what way am i honoring god in my covered relationship and what can i do to keep me from a consumer relationship number two take time to search our hearts for any hint of lustful desire or thoughts of unfaithfulness come to God in repentance and forgiveness. And number three, what can I do to journey with someone who are divorced or going through a season of desertion, of separation? I hope that you will take time to ponder about this. Please be seated and I would like to pass the time for announcement before we conclude today's service. <laughs>